You're listening to Living It Up in Lion City, a podcast about Singapore, where locals and foreigners sit down, chill, crack open a beer, and talk about life here and what goes on in this amazing city. Hello, Internet, and welcome to yet another awesome episode of Living It Up in Lion City, a podcast about living and loving this amazing city called Singapore. It's just a bunch of friends having a beer and talking shit. I'm Rindo. And I'm Raj. And we're here to talk about the topic of episode eight, which is... Singapore's folklore. So, Raj, um, you know, we've been doing a bit of reading about Singaporean folklore as as part of preparing for this uh, episode. Um... Why are we covering this? Well, it, to be honest, I think it's, it's basically part of Singapore's soul. Every, every country has their own historical legends. Right. Some legends might be true, some might be not. Yeah. And that's, that's why we are doing it. Because that, that's, I, I guess most of us in primary school or secondary school will have actually heard about these legends. Yeah. But do we actually pay attention to it? Right. And as a foreigner, what I've noticed is that, you know, we don't hear much about these things. There are certain stories which are more popular than the others. And, you know, I see these in... Like what? Like the story of Sangila Uttama, for example. Which oh, is, right. Which is, you know, part of travel brochures. Oh, and, dude, it was in 9th of August, you know, SG50. It was, that was one of the major storyline yeah. in NDP, you know. Um, the, the National Parade. Yeah. Right. And if you go to the uh, Merlion statue in Sentosa, if you go inside, there's this uh, presentation that they show. I've never been there. Oh, it's like an animated, uh, you know, retelling of what Sangnila Utama saw. And, uh, you know. So he saw a Merlion? Well, he saw... Well, yeah, let's, 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 <laughs> we, we will get into that. Right? Um, so, yeah, uh, speaking of Singaporean folklore, you know, as a foreigner, we don't hear much about this. And oftentimes, we just hear about... You know, the modern history of Singapore. Essentially, history that starts from... Raffles. From, yeah. So, Sanford Raffles. Sanford Raffles, right? Uh, but what is interesting was that, you know, after conversations with you, Raj, and after, you know, you know Googling stuff and, you know, doing... And some watching research, a documentary. Yes. Uh, you know, after doing all those things, we realized that there's a whole bunch of stories, legends, and possibly, you know, historical narratives that, may ha- that have happened that go way further than, you know, what is what's popularly known, right? Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm curious to know more about this and hopefully for those who haven't really um, heard about these stories, hopefully this is instructive and entertaining or at least as instructive and entertaining as we thought it was when we did research for it. Oh, dude, goosebumps, man, when right? you're doing it. So, I mean, okay, not doing it, but doing the research. <laughs> Mind out of the gutter, Raj. Mind out of the gutter. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's get straight to it. Um, so, Raj, um, you know, as, as a Singaporean, like, uh, tell us about what is the, what is the popular story of, of Sangnila Uttama? As much as I know, or knew before doing our research was that he came to Singapore, he saw it off an island, came to Singapore, and from then on, it was known as Tomasic, and then it changed to Singapore, because he saw a lion. Or, yeah. yeah, because he saw a lion, and that's why. And like Singapore is the uh, is essentially Sanskrit for yeah. lion, lion city. Yeah, right. In a sense, I mean, back then, Sanskrit was, I guess, around Southeast Asia. Yeah, yeah. India. Right. Uh, I'm not sure whether it was beyond India. Hmm. So, uh, based on the historical records that I was reading about, um, uh, the, the Southeast Asian region, like, and notably the Indonesian region, was under the rule of the Sri Vijaya uh, Kingdom, um, which had ties with you know, civilizations all across the world. Uh, the Sri Vijaya Kingdom was a seafaring nation. Like, so they've had like massive boats and, and shit like that. So they were like the Vikings of Asia. No shit. And yeah, they actually like, you know, went to different islands. They conquered the whole thing and they were like very big on trade. So they had like connections with... Okay, so they were not like the Vikings. They were like the British. 
Well, let's let's not be too unkind to Sri Vijaya Kingdom by comparing them to the British colonialists. <laughs> unkind, and I thought I was being kind. Man. I thought the Vikings were more brutal and well, ruthless. You know, I, as as an Indian, I have very uncharitable perceptions of British colonialism, but that's a story for another time. Um, you know, so Sri Vijaya Kingdom, of course, had ties with you know. Uh, the, the Indian Empire at the time, and uh, from what I understand, Sanskrit was the um, the language of royalty and was spoken by uh, people in the upper you know, upper class. classes of, of so, of, like the Queen's English, and imagine Game of Thrones, if you will. I haven't seen Game of Thrones, so like, bullshit. <laughs> I don't watch Game of Thrones. Like, it's so, too so there was, a, there, was a, there was a scene whereby. Uh, there was a scene whereby Arya was saying my lady instead of or my, my lord instead huh. of saying me lord. Okay. And someone over there basically said how are you educated and stuff because that is the language of the upper tier or upper class people. Right, right. And so Sanskrit like well, Sanskrit was that was wasn't that right. level. Okay. At least that's from what I understand. Um, long story short, uh, the story of Sangala Uttama is something that I've heard too. It is something that is seen in uh, when you go to Sentosa, when you go inside that giant Merlion statue, and they have this uh, you know presentation of sorts. Um, what really fascinated me about um, Sangala Uttama's story was that when I started reading into the Wikipedia entry. Um, it took me to the source from where the story comes from. I'm guessing NLB. Yes, yes. <laughs> so the National Library Board's website has the original text from which the story of Sangala Uttama comes from. Now, a lot of these stories and legends source is from a chronicle, a historical chronicle called the Malay Annals. This is a compilation of stories and historical chronicles of Malay kings at the time, um, which, if I remember correctly, was dated to at least the 13th century, but it talks about stories and kings from way before that. So these were stories that were transmitted orally, you know, by word of mouth across generations, and then there were some historians who decided to, you know, put them in text. And many centuries later, um, a British dude called John Layden translated it in, 19, in 1852, and that particular treatise is available in the National uh, Library Board's website. It's called the Malay Annals. It makes for very interesting reading. Uh, it has about um, 30 chapters, and the story of Sangala Uttama shows up in chapter 3. Um, yeah, it's funny how you just read it like pretty recently, and you can remember which chapter it was at. It blew my mind, Raj. Like it was some crazy fucking shit. Like I'm not gonna get into details about what happens like before that. There's some crazy stuff about you know kings um, exploring deep into the ocean. You know, sleeping with mermaids, having children. Uh, for mermaids things. in the animal world is basically a manatee. <laughs> but you know, somehow children were born out of it, and. You know, but th that's that's something that we could probably cover in a another episode. What I do want to focus on is the story of Sangnala Uttama, and you know, from what Raj said and what is like popularly known in 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 Singapore today is that you know Sangnala Uttama went to Singapore and stuff like that, right? The Malay Annals has a broader context around that story. How broad? Well, it talks about like how Sangnala Sangnala Uttama got to Singapore in the first. Are we place. talking about the do documentary that we saw or? Um, no, we're talking about like what's in the uh, Malay Annals. Okay. Right? So the story goes that there was a king called Sang Sapurba, who was apparently this amazing fucking king. He was the, uh, he was the ruler of all the lands. He was like the ruler of everything above sea level. And, and he was this awesome king. He was super rich. Uh, he was, you know, known far and wide and stuff like that. Um, so this king was in his... Uh, fleet of 400 um, ships and he landed this island called Bintan. So what was it named before Bintan? Was it Bintan all the way or? Um, I'm not sure but uh, according to the Malay Annals it was called Bintan. Uh, with, it was B-E-N-T-A-N. And the queen of that island uh, whose name was Paramissuri. Sounds so Indian. Yeah and that was what surprised me about the Malay Annals too. A lot of these kings names was actually a mixture of Indian and Islamic names. 
you know, you have... That's interesting. Right? There's Raja, Vikrama, Sikandar Shah, and, and, and stuff like that, you know? So it's like a... So you can tell that even back in the day, there was a fair bit of, you know, intermingling of different, you know... Religions. Religions and communities, right? So that's, that's, that's also bad. Yeah, that's really right? interesting. And I, I, I don't think back then we had this kind of religious... Uh, Wars. Well, perhaps. You know. The thing was that there was a fair bit of mixing, right? Like, so for example, the word Shah actually means king. Yeah. But then there are rulers who are named Raja something something Shah. You know, so it's like King 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 Sikandar King. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, back to the story of Bintan. So there was a queen of, of this particular island, Bintan, whose name was Parmishiri, and she was so stoked that this king, Sang Sapurba, was coming to town, and she had plans to seduce him, she had plans to woo him and make him her husband and, you know, um, you know be part of the larger empire. Now, Sang Sapurba wasn't having any of it. He wasn't really keen and stuff like that. So this queen um, offered her daughter to her son, to his son. So she literally, I mean, sorry, literally. What the <laughs> fuck is wrong with me, man? <laughs> That's what beers do to you. <laughs> literally. Yeah. <laughs> finally, I got the R and L, right? <laughs> so she just wanted to be in a relation, like no matter uh, what type of relation. Yeah, so I'm assuming it was, she wanted this to be a political alliance. Oh, uh, okay, political. Right? So if not her, she offered her daughter's hand to, you know, Sang Sapurba's son, whose name was Sangnila Uttama. Um, so King Sang Sapurba agreed and, you know, uh, let Sangnila Uttama marry. Uh, so was this, this in the book that she was actually trying to flirt yes. with her in, all, yes. in the Malay annals? Yes, yes, it was. So... Uh, Sang Sapurba's son, Sangnila Uttama, marries uh, Queen Parmeshuri's uh, daughter. And because of that, Sangnila Uttama becomes the king of Bintan. Right? So he lives happily ever after. And right before the father leaves to conquer foreign lands. And never return again? Never returns again. Yeah. Wait, that was there as well. Yeah. Oh, so, good. What a good guess. <laughs> so the father gives the son a crown. All right, he's like, this is the crown. This represents not the rightful crown. <laughs> yeah. He's not the <laughs> rightful king, <laughs> right? So he gives him the crown and then leaves, right? So Sangnila Uttama stays in Bintan. He's he's in love with his wife. You know, sticks around and stuff like that. And after a while, and I'm assuming this is many many years later, Sangnila Uttama gets bored of living in Bintan. So he gets information from some other people that there is this island called Demban. Right. So this to... is way before he actually went. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. So he says that he wants to visit this place called Demban, and so he has to ask permission from the queen. Of, but he's of a kid. Bintan. Yeah, but the thing is that he's still living under the shadow of the reigning uh, ruler, which is the queen. Right. Right. <laughs> so um, and so he asks the queen, "Hey, you know, I want to go to Bimban. You know, I'm tired of just wandering around Bintan." And the queen says, "No." She's like, why do you want to go to Bemban? There's nothing there. Stay here. You know? And uh, Sangnula Uttama goes, no, you know, I'm sick and tired of this place. If you don't let me go, I'm just going to sit here and die. <laughs> you know, I'll die standing, die sitting, I'm going to die either way. <laughs> and folks, you got to understand, this is exactly how it's written in the Malayanos. <laughs> and uh, so the queen goes, okay, all right, you're being super stubborn. You know, let's set up uh, a vessel for you, a ship with all the supplies and stuff like that, and just go do whatever the fuck you want, right? <laughs> so, so Sangnila Uttama takes his, you know, young wife, um, get, boards the ship with his hunting party, even all this, you know, his retinue, and they visit Bemban. They go to Bemban. They, it's, it seems like it's a leisure trip. They're cavorting in the sand. They're hunting and then stuff like that. And so this is where Sangnila Uttama goes on a hunting party and starts chasing a deer. And, and that's when I know. Yes. That's, that's basically how it starts. Yes. Um, that's a popular story. But anyway, do continue. Yeah. So uh, they shoot down the deer. And as they get to where the deer fell, uh, it's like on top of this rock that's overlooking the sea. And as they get on top of this rock, Sangnal Uttama sees like um, a beach of white sands in the distance. So he asks his ministers like what that place is. And the minister says, oh, that's the extensive country of Temasek. And that's how it's quoted in the Malay Annals. So Sangnila Uttama says, let's go there. 
Yeah, and we know what happens after (laughs) which. And they do, right? So story goes that he goes there. But here's the thing which like really blows my mind after whatever you just said. So he left his wife in the island. Uh, And he, he went alone with his hunting party. He took his he took his wife and his retinue with them on that same boat that they came from Bintan. So why wasn't this not mentioned to us? Well, you know, it's only mentioned <laughs> Sang Lina Utama yeah. and his hunting party, yeah, and but, his men. But apparently, it was like the whole crew, like literally everyone who was in Bamban at the time, um, you know, got on that boat. Damn right? historians! Yeah, and uh, so you know, as the popular story goes, um, they he were, got on the boat. Yeah. When hit on with like you know a storm, yeah. apparently he thought he could win it. What a man, man! <laughs> I think there's like a reigning trend of how uh, the Malay annals glorify the actions of of the kings. It's like oh he did this and he was amazing and you know I think yeah. But I mean the story goes whereby they realized okay this is the part that I read was that the story goes that he ran into a storm and the men and his men started throwing like. Everything out to hmm. make sure the boat is light enough to uh, stay afloat. Right. The last thing that he threw was his crown. Yes. And when the crown basically entered the water, the storm vanished. And the ship, you know, came back floating up. And... Well, the ship was never down. It's just. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. It, it was just. just yeah. <laughs> it, it was just you know tumbling all around. <laughs> right. Okay. And uh, that's how they managed to get to the shores of Temasek. And once they, you know, got off the ship and onto the shore, um, you know, Sangnala Uttama saw something. Now, the popular story is that he saw a lion. And we know that Singapore never actually did have a lion. <laughs> what the fuck did he actually see that construed as a lion? Yeah. Well, according to the Malay Annals, and I'm quoting this verbatim, there they saw an animal extremely swift and beautiful, its body of a red color, its head black and its breast white, extremely agile and of great strength, and its size a little larger than a he-goat. So there was some sort of creature that was red, black, and white that was larger than a goat. Red, black, and white. What do I think of? <laughs> Lion King, baboon. The baboon guy. <laughs> well, man, those guys are blind. <laughs> they can't tell the difference between a bamboo and a lion. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> But so that is that is what was written in, in the annals, and so they see this particular creature, and the creature disappears into the forest. You know, and seeing this large yeah, because party. it was just it was just a glance, like exactly. And and yeah, he was probably tired after you know like, yeah. coming after coming out of a storm, <laughs> right? like nothing to eat, nothing to drink. <laughs> he sees something and is like, yeah, yeah, that's a lion. <laughs> and according to the story in in the treaties, um, he asked his minister what that creature was because it's nothing like he saw. He, it wasn't anything like anything of what he'd seen before. And so the minister said, according to the ancient legends, that creature looks like a lion. So it was the minister was stupid. Yeah. Okay, not stupid. Stop. Well, stupid is the wrong word. I apologize. Well, what is interesting is that the minister, Damang Lebar Don, said that in the histories of ancient time, the lion was described in the same manner as this animal. And then he goes on to say, this is a fine place which contains so fierce and so powerful an animal. But could it be a tiger though? It could be actually. Cause I, I, I mean, tigers were roaming all, yeah. all around. The Malayan tiger was probably a lot more you know, prolific than and, tigers and, have. And here's a question that really hits my mind, right? What time did he enter or reach Singapore? Was it at night, evening? Because moonlight plays a part, and or if it's sunlight or sunset, it plays a part. Sunset, reflection from the water, what he sees. That's true. That could also explain why if... And, and that's why like orange becomes red. Yeah. Okay, I have no idea what, how black... But, you know, Raj, you bring up an interesting point. Um, the tiger's colors are a deep orange, black with a white breast, like you know, yeah, a white it, underside, right? So it could be that they'd seen a tiger. So, do you think we can conclude our own finding, uh, our own research, if you say so? <laughs> that it was a tiger, folks. <laughs> Everything that you learned was wrong. It's a tiger. <laughs> and this is just our assumption. <laughs> right? um, 
But whatever it was, um, you know, they assumed based on past stories and past uh, accounts of what a lion looks like, they assumed it was a lion. And apparently, Sangnila Uttama and his minister, Damang Labar Don, thought it appropriate enough to build a settlement there, right? But before they built a settlement, when the minister told Sangnila Uttama that this was, you know, a lion, Sangnila Uttama sent a messenger back to his mother-in-law and said, I'm not coming back. Holy shit! And, and, I, and this is also there in annals, and if you love me, you will send me people and elephants to build a settlement in this place that I just discovered. Um, the queen, Parmashiri, gets the message. I'm guessing she said no. Oh, well, she, she conceded. As it huh. turns out, she was like, okay, fuck it. <laughs> He's already there. What am I going to do? Right? And apparently she sends supplies. Uh, wait, to, were there elephants in Bintan back then? Uh, that's actually a good question. I mean, I'm, there, are, there, were, there are Asian elephants yeah, all across the, Southeast Asia. The closest one is in Thailand. Also true. So, like, how did they... Were there elephants in Bintan? That's a good story. That's a good question. <laughs> oh, all right. Another time, folks. Right? And um, with those supplies, with those people and elephants, etc., etc., they built a settlement and they called it Singapore after the lion that they sighted. So, here's the question. Do you want to hear the question now or later? Go. So, we all know Sing- before Singapore was Singapore, it was called Somasik. Yeah. But how did... Tomasic derived like who gave that that little island that we now know as Singapore Tomasic that name that's an interesting question Raj how indeed that's an open question folks so we did our own research we tried to go as deep as possible but every single research or every single paper that we read started off from Tomasic nothing beyond that so how can a name be named how can an island be named if no one lives there. So that means to say there was perhaps another, there's another side of Singapore that is ve- like we do not know and it's not written. But the only part that we know is Tamasic. That and, was called Tamasic. And yeah. people knew that it was called Tamasic. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, we only know Tamasic onwards, which was what? 1299, yeah. 1300s. So that means Singapore does have a history way beyond 1300s, but no one knows. It's just a gray area, a, a, a those pages just of history just was lost to the vagaries of time. Yeah, um, so if you guys if you guys do know it, do drop us a comments or feedback or whatever because we will try and deep dive into it or dive deep into it. And hopefully, you know, have another episode about this. Uh, but Raj, like, what fascinates me about the story is that it wasn't just you know a story of an explorer finding new land. There, there is some political contexts to it. Um, the How political? That, like, well, like the fact that he had disagreements with with his mother-in-law. The fact that he wanted to, like, on the pretext of traveling, he goes to a place and then he says, "No, I'm not coming back." Does it point to some sort of tension? Does it point to the fact that he is sick and tired of living under the shadow of the queen of the queen and wants to create a kingdom of his own? And so he just goes out there, finds something, and says, "Hey." This is my kingdom now. I can do whatever the fuck I want. I mean, there could be that. Um, and maybe the other part of it is because his dad left. That is true. And I, I, I'm just, I'm, this is just my opinion. I'm like, if his dad was there, he's, he'll perhaps think, okay, so after my dad, it's me. I'm going to rule. But with the queen there, the queen could marry another person. Perhaps, perhaps. And he will perhaps not be the king. So he's he's literally like the Prince Charles of back in the day. You know? <laughs> never destined to be king. <laughs> Dude, the queen never dies, man. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's the thing, right? So there is some sort of political context, which brings me to believe that maybe the story about exploration is not about exploration. Maybe it's an allegory about someone wanting to expand and create something new. Could it be expand or could it be running? It could be running because the the chapter ends with and thus Singapore prospered and became very rich. End of chapter. You know, so I think the end is like a theme of and that's how Singapore became awesome. You know, (laughs) so 
Like if you were to write a story about... I mean, that... that, that sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt you. Go so on, go that, on. That, that, I, I think it's better if you just continue and then I'll just... Okay, okay. So like what I feel is that if you were a historian who wanted to write a story that would glorify, you know, your person, king, yeah. right? You would write something about how this king went through a lot of trial and, you know, decided to strike out on his own and, you know, created something that then became... Awesome. It's like a you know <laughs> tall the movie right. Right. He was vanished as a, what, a, the next of the next right? in line. He was vanished. He came to Earth and he had to establish himself to be right tall. I guess. So that's uh, there. There is something to it. Once again, the Malay annals isn't considered an accurate historical narrative simply because there are these stories which have mystical elements to it. Having said this, there is some basis in truth simply because the kind of places that are being talked about, the timelines of the rules of these kings point to something that did happen. So Sangala Uttama may have well been, you know, an actual figure and this may have happened, but they couched these political machinations into a story that is palatable. And fictitious. Yes. Fictitious. Fictitious, yeah. Fictitious. And, you know, it, it just makes for a better story. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Pleasing to the ear. <laughs> right? <laughs> or the eyes. Yeah. Um, Dude, the funny part about Sanglino Otama is basically he's throwing his throne. Yeah. Not not throne, but his crown. Yeah. Into the sea. And isn't that symbolic in a way? You know, like he's saying. You're not the rightful king. He's like, you know, I'm. I want to break free of the shackles of, you know. It just reminded me of Queen Songman. <laughs> I I don't know. That's seriously. I want to break free. Okay, you know, another time. <laughs> I'm sorry. My knowledge of pop culture is not up it's to stop. the okay. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I thought you were quoting a song. Yeah, I was. But it's, oh, okay. It's, I, 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 okay, ne- you know what? Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, symbolic, yes. Um, based on the documentary that we saw, hmm. apparently in a lot of cultures, it is symbolic to have, uh, would you say an argument with uh, nature? If let's say if you don't, if you if you are not the rightful king or whatever, it it would be. But I think it also represents the fact that whoever is the hero of the story somehow goes through an adverse experience and comes out triumphant. You know, so it's like, oh, I have to sacrifice a crown in order to save the day. No, but I don't think he was actually. If I don't think anyone of us would actually do it, like. Or not, not say do it, but rather think about saving the day. We will think at that point of time, what do I have to do? You'll just, for example, in this case, throw, throw whatever is heavy as hell, throw it out, make the boat as light as possible to ensure the safety of everyone. So it's just at the point at the moment. But what really fascinates me is, is that he has to throw that, his crown, for the sea to come down. That that does point to something that sounds like they're trying to insinuate something that, that isn't exactly literal, you know? So it's not literally the fact that the storm calmed down, but maybe they're talking about a metaphorical storm that was brewing in the region, and by um, letting go of his crown, you know, the political storm abated. Political storm. Do you know what it sounds like my literature teacher in secondary school? Oh, the curtain was blue, the wall was white. What do you think was going on in his mind? It was... Dude, it dude was, the curtain was just fucking blue. <laughs> it's my favorite color. That's it. <laughs> No, but I, I guess like everybody has this need to want to like get meaning out of something that possibly wasn't there. But I don't know, like what, you know, it, it seems like a fun story at any rate. And yeah. definitely more than what we, you know, get from that fucking statue in Sentosa. Right? What statue? The statue in Sentosa where they talk about, oh, Sangnalatma found a lion, boom, oh. Singapore. Right. Right. <laughs> Long story short, yeah, that's it, folks. <laughs> It was less about discovering the island and more about him not liking his mother-in-law. That's, that's what I got from it. <laughs> and that's what I got from you. <laughs> and now that's what you yeah, got yeah. from us. <laughs> but yeah, um, but, um, Raj, like, I think you had a more interesting story um, you know, from, from Singaporean folklore that you were super excited about. <laughs> yes. Yes, because this, this, when I was reading about this story... 
it reminded me of uh, when I was back in, I, I cannot remember whether it was primary school or secondary school, but it just, it just, I, I, I just had like, you know, flashbacks of like, oh shit, I remember reading this story. You know, like a bubble forms and all that. Okay, okay. <laughs> so yeah, so, so folks, this story goes about Badam. Not sure whether you guys know about this guy, but this guy is known as the strongest man in Southeast Asia, or rather the South Asia okay. region. Story goes that he was out fishing. He was a fisherman. He went out, he went out fishing, and apparently in his net, he caught... Now, it's either a genie, or a water spirit. It, it's whatever you would want to think it of. It was a mystical thing. Okay. And that mystical thing basically told him that, um, you know, if you let me go, I'll grant you one wish. Okay. And his wish was to be the strongest man. I'm not sh- sure whether he said the world or the region or whatever he said. He just said, I'm, I'm guessing he just said, I want to be the strongest man. And the spirit or the thing granted him the wish. But the catch is, he had to eat the vomit of that thing. So, Interesting fetish. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, imagine, imagine a jitty. How do I get myself horny? <laughs> Fuck that, he's gonna eat my vomit. <laughs> Fuck, okay, okay. So yeah, he... So, Badang actually did it. He ate the vomit and he became really strong. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just picturing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, he actually ate the vomit and um, became really strong. And word went around, like people from back then, Malaysia, Indonesia and beyond came down to challenge him. Kingdoms from all over or kings from all over were not satisfied that how can this guy be the strongest when he's not even known. Like, so he started beating everyone through like a challenge. And the famous story goes whereby the story spread all the way up to India. And a king who was not who was like surprised that how could this guy from a small little island be stronger than my guy who's like from this massive piece of land. Shit, is this like the medieval version of the WWE? (laughs) (laughs) Damn, we gotta challenge that guy. (laughs) Yeah, so that guy I mean the king sends his strongest guy down or whether I do not remember whether Badang went up. Either way, they met some place. But I'm guessing the guy came down because what's going to happen next is that they did a whole series of challenge. Not sure what the challenge was, but the final challenge was throwing a massive boulder. Okay. Like a massive rock. So Badang threw it so far that it ended up in the Singapore River. Fuck. Okay. Yeah. It ended up in the Singapore River and... Yeah, so apparently he won the challenge and Badang was there like in the folklore and the legend ever since. And then, and then you know, apparently on the rock itself, there was like a scripture. I wouldn't say scripture, but like a literature in, a, in an Asian language that no one could understand. Okay. Like no one can actually decipher. No one could decipher it and then came along the British... And did they they, it out? they they basically had to I mean this is what is being said is that they had to blow up the that rock or that boulder to make Singapore River or to make the river flow. Okay. So folks uh like you be the judge. I'm not sure how true is this or how true or how fake is this, but the thing is that we do have a piece of that boulder in the National Museum of Singapore. Until wow. until now no one is able to or rather, until now, no one is, yeah, no one is able to decipher it. Like, what, what is that language? What is what? But it is just a piece that they found in Singapore, and now it's in the museum. Wow. Yeah. So if you can decipher it, if that would be great, man. <laughs> Interesting. Like, what is 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 the Badang story something that is? Uh, do do Singaporeans know about this? Is this a popular story? I think it's pretty... I mean, this is just my opinion. I think it's pretty popular, but I'm not too sure because I remember it. I mean, I remember it because I read when I was really young and I was really fascinated by it. Okay. 
No, I'm not sure why I was fascinated. Maybe it's got to do with the format. <laughs> He's a dude who loves to, you know, lap up some fuckers puke and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, fuck off. Throw me. stones and shit. <laughs> <laughs> Try stones, why not, right? Have you, have you not ever done that? Well, not giant ones. <laughs> but wow, wow. I, do, I do want to check out that museum and see that. that yeah, speaking of which, I've never actually been to the museum. Okay. And, and then again, in that museum, because of what I read, led me on to another story and it just went on and on until I found, I found out that they actually found a dagger. Okay. When they were trying to build something in that area. A dagger that would perhaps not been for a commoner back right. then maybe made for a royalty yeah and one of um one of uh rindo's colleague he basically told us it is it, basically called a chris in malay okay k-r-i-s and is this dagger what is the significance of this dagger? i have no idea what's the significant the issue the thing is they found it in singapore they found it in singapore under like i don't know Years and years and years of mud, sand, rain, grass, whatever. Yeah. Excuse me. Yes, but folks, we are having beer, so mind the burp. They know that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they found it like deep down in Singapore. They cannot date it to when it was actually made. Okay. And they cannot point it to anyone. And that dagger itself in the, is in the museum. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and it just fascinates me whereby, like, Singapore history is rich. It's just that it's not documented, like, you know, like China or India or Europe or US. Well, you know, Singaporean history is not popularly spread out because there are no sexy Hollywood movies about it. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. no pyramids. Yeah. There are no, you know, like, skimpy clad women you know, reenacting, you know, historical narratives in, uh, about Singapore. But yeah, that's uh, interesting. You know, folks, if you get the opportunity to go to the National Museum of Singapore, do check it out, see what the story is about and, you know. Yeah, do not worry, we are not being promoted by this SDB. Uh, yeah, Singapore no. Tourism Board, not STD, but B for board. <laughs> Nobody's paying us, folks. <laughs> this is all a labor of love. <laughs> wow, yes. Okay. So, I mean, I, I guess the Museum of Singapore actually does have quite some interesting stories. Right. But, yeah, I've never been there. Oh, okay. I have been there before. It's just that it was very early into... Like, it was just maybe right after I arrived in Singapore, so I probably didn't have the context that I do now. Although I would want to check it out yeah. now that I have, you know, the rich narratives that we've been doing research on. So the next topic I'm going to talk about is Radin Mas. What's Radin Mas? So based on folklore, Radin Mas was basically a princess. Okay. So... A prince married a commoner, okay. which the prince's father was not too happy about. So when the prince was not around, uh, probably went sailing or went somewhere around the island or whatever, the sultan of the place sends his men down to burn their house down. With the princess inside it? Yeah, apparently, Whoa, okay. apparently the story goes, the house was burned down, the mother died. In yeah. the in the house, but the princess was saved because of a loyal servant, and the princess' name was Radin Mas Ayu. Okay. And when the prince came back, they ran away from where they were, and they came to Tamasek. So it's kind of funny, right? Like the story goes Tamasek, whereby Sanglina Utama was Tamasek to Singapore. So do you think, uh, uh, Rindo, that? This story is before. It's. it's uh, what, what's his name? Sanglina Utama? Sanglina Utama? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question because, um, you know, based on the previous story, it was hence named Singapore, but then Temasek is still being used. So the question here is is Singapore and Temasek used at the same time? Or does the story of Radan Mas, you know, happen way before that? I have no idea. I mean, that's that's an open-ended question. And if you guys actually know about this, do hit us and we'll love to, you know, hear from you guys. 
And <clears throat> so to continue the story, how it goes was, was that when the prince landed up in Singapore, the Sultan of Tomasic back then was excited. He was, he was happy. I have no idea why he was so happy. Maybe he was a well-known prince or maybe something did happen. I do not know what. And he actually offered his daughter, the Sultan's daughter, to the prince. Right. They got married. But apparently the princess who got married to the prince didn't like Redin Masayu. Okay. She was not well liked by the, uh, yeah, by the stepmom. And she, when, you know, when Radin Mas Ayu grew up, uh, she was, the story goes that she was, you know, a really beautiful princess and whatnot. The stepmom actually uh, proposed a marriage between her, I mean, not the mom, but, you know, the, the Radin Mas Ayu and the stepmom's nephew. Okay. What's his name? If I remember correctly, it was Tun Bagus. Tun Bagus! <laughs> Tun good, bro. <laughs> but Radin Mas didn't, uh, Radin Mas Ayu didn't like it, uh, didn't like the marriage proposal, so she said no. And that's when Tun Bagus threatened to kill the dad. I think the dad's, I mean, the prince's name was Parangan or, or something around those lines. Uh, I do apologize if I'm getting this wrong. So, what happened was uh, she was defiantly saying no. She was like, no, I'm not going to marry you. But Tun Bagus decided to you know, attack the dad. And to shield the dad from Tun Bagus, she stepped in. She basically jumped in front and she got stabbed in the heart by, Tem, uh, by Tun Bagus. And yeah, and she died. Shit, Tun Bagus was not a Bagus guy. <laughs> Damn, <Yeah>. dude. <laughs> wow, names, bro. <laughs> so, I do not know how true is this. And internet has showed me a couple of pictures whereby there's still a tomb. Uh, I do not know where is it. But apparently it's in, in the area between Bukit Merah. Um, shit, there was two more areas. Bukit Merah, Bukit Permai. Purmai, okay, and one more area. Uh, I'm guessing is Fort Canning, but I'm not sure. Wow. So these three areas, and Radin Mas is in the middle of these three areas, and apparently, uh, her tomb was, not say resurrected, but <laughs> sorry, but yeah, but her tomb is there. But yeah, it's only the internet telling me that the tomb is there. I'm not too sure. If you guys know, let me know. I'll probably go down and check. So you're and, saying that it still exists, and I mean, this is what internet tells me, and you know, internet. Yeah, that's also true, but you know, now I'm now I'm curious, like if that tomb exists, like is there Radin Mas's, you know, corpse in it, you know? I don't I do not think we will want to be the one who actually Go all Indiana Jones and you wanna find out. And, <laughs> and even though if if we actually do that, but how do we know is that person? That is true. I that mean there's true. no DNA evidence to say that's that person. That's true. But then the very fact that there is a tomb there that could probably have gone back to centuries. Um, like, is this, is this tomb recognized by the authorities today? Is this, is this a monument? That is something I do not know. Okay. But, I mean, if, if it's a monument, then, I mean, I guess that would be a his, historical site. Yeah. And why do we not hear about this? You know, holy shit, like, we don't... At least, you know, as, as a foreigner, even though I've lived here for eight years, there's a lot of things that I still don't know about the island. And, you know, this sounds something that we definitely should check out. Um, and, yeah. sorry, you were saying? Yeah, but you, you also mentioned that w was the third area that you're talking about somewhere around Selagi? Because I think you had a story about Selagi. Uh, no, it wasn't around Selagi, but I do have a story about Selagi. Tell us more. So, there was a sultan around us in Samasek area, um, the area, it wasn't called Salagi then, it was called something else. Um, he basically had to retreat or run away because the kingdom was under attack. Uh, under attack. So he ran away and he ran away towards uh, Salita. Right. And he ran away towards Salita, got with his men onto a boat, went to somewhere and never to return to claim back his territory. Um, Oh yeah, he was from Selegi. From Selegi, he ran to Selita. Selita, you know, um, back then it wasn't what we see now. Like, you know, modern roads and all that. It was a muddy track or maybe forest in between. But he ran and ran and ran till Selita's uh, coast. Ran and never to return again. 
what and that was based on what I read the date was 1377 1377 okay. and ever since then the pirates came in they made uh, Mount Sophia their base like where they stayed where they mingled and all that and apparently the pirates were from the pirates were called Selegi so that whole area named Selegi is because of them and the meaning of that word is a spear a wooden sharpened spear Shit. Who fucking knew? Uh, for those who aren't living in Singapore, Salagi Road is a road, uh, you know, in the Dobigat area. Um, and oh, yeah, and Dobigat used to be a proper Dobigat. Yep. Okay, uh, and those who do not know what Dobigat is, actually a Hindi word for uh, a laundryman area. Yeah. Where you send yeah. your laundries and they'll beat it to crap and make it dry. Correct, correct. Interesting. So you're saying that, you know, pirates were a constant presence in... in hey, pirates of the Caribbean, right? Yeah, they have that meme, right? You know, Welcome to Singapore. You know, I thought it was just a joke, but as it turns and, out, and, and there speaking, is history Speaking of it. which, we watched that documentary, and even back then, they were like Chinese traders. Even before uh, Sang Lin Tama yeah. came in, there were Chinese traders. There were Indian... God knows what they were doing here. Well, wasn't there that thing that you oh, mentioned? Oh, yeah. Uh, what I... <laughs> What I basically read was, I, I, I have no idea where I read this, but what I read was, there was this king who came down all the way to Singapore and asked, where was China? Yeah. And someone told him, China is not here, it's above India or something like that, it's the, on the other side. And he left. And I guess some of them, they, left, they were left behind. And yeah, I'm guessing the guy who wanted to wage a war with China, that king, probably went the wrong way. He, he wow. got the wrong direction. So you're saying that this Indian king was essentially, you know, the Chris Columbus of his time, you know? <laughs> he went to find one country, found something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 so what amazes me is that back then, even before Sang Lina Utama came in, we had Chinese traders. We had some Indian king with no sense of direction. <laughs> yep. And our, you know, we got definitely a few Malay folks. Right. So back then itself, we were multicultural and not just now. And... Where are these stories? Like, are these stories lost? Are there any historical narratives outside of, you know, what we know? So, we, we did watch a documentary and they actually pinpoint to the guy, 1377, who came, who basically, who was a Chinese businessman, yeah. came to Singapore, he put his story down whereby, yeah, there were already Chinese traders in Singapore. Yeah. So, if they can find that guy and based on in China's history books, if they can find that guy... Why aren't we, Why do we have to dig so much to find this out? Correct. Why, why isn't it not just out there on the surface? That is true. Um, for context, folks, the documentary that we're talking about is called The Hunt for the Red Line. Um, links are down in the show notes. Um, do check it out. It, it makes for a fascinating watch. Yeah, it does. Uh, it does. And a lot more questions will arise. No shit. I'm going to go back home and, you know, do some homework. So, Rindo, you're telling me that um, 1377 has a significant impact on why Red Hill was called Red Hill. Yes. Oh, this is probably one of my favorite Or Bukit Mira, Red Hill, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, this is the story of Bukit Mira, and this is also a popular story. I've heard the story from a couple of people before, and, and uh, this story is also from the Malay Annals. It's in Chapter 10. Um, so, the popular narrative goes that um, there was apparently a whole bunch of very dangerous swordfish that were wreaking havoc upon the shores of Singapore. I know the story, Right? So apparently these swordfish were super lethal, you know? They would, you know, fly out from the sea uh, and... Stab someone. Stab people, like slash them, cut off their arms and And go back into the sea. Yeah. But how would they... On jump well, on land and oh wait fishermen that yeah that's how that's how they literally like you know fly out from the sea into the shore onto the shore and you know cut off limbs and shit it cannot be onto the shore man well but yeah the thing is that this may not be an actual historical okay account. yeah okay, yeah it sorry my bad maybe the beers like are thinking over me <laughs> I do apologize so, on that yeah so the swordfish apparently were a big problem in the shore you know they were like you know uh, killing people and shit like that and so um the the king of the time, uh, who was Paduka Sri Maharaja. 
Wow, all these Indian names, man. Yeah, so, you know. I mix with uh, Malay names. Like, dude, it, we were yeah. multicultural back then. Right? We were having <laughs> interracial sex back then. Like, why all this stigma now? Well, yeah, like this... this... Were we more open-minded back then or now? <laughs> oh, well, you know, things change, I guess. But this this king, um, Paduka Sri Maharaja, he goes to the shore, you know, he's, he's riding this elephant with his ministers and stuff, and he's trying to assess the damage, and see, he sees all these people literally split in half, spread across the shore, you know, there's like blood everywhere, and it's super fucked up. So the Maharaja was like, what the fuck can we do? And apparently, according to the annals, uh, the Maharaja orders his men to create a rampart. I don't understand what the rampart is in this context, because he What's says, a rampart? It's, it's essentially like a, a blockade. You know, like a fence of sorts, but according to made the, off? of his his soldiers' legs. The fuck? Yeah, I don't understand. So it says that they made a rampart out of his men's legs. I don't understand what that means, but somehow I'm assuming that you know the soldiers are flanking the shore. You right, know? in in the water. In the water, and the swordfish came in and started chopping off their legs. You know. <laughs> Um, so that wasn't working. And then the crowd... What a dumbass king. Well, you know, once again, I don't understand what Rampart means in this context, but it seems that, you know, it wasn't working. Um, <laughs> no, right? no shit, Sherlock. So among the villagers who were like, you know, amassing by the shore watching this, among them was... A because, young... you know, you know what's the funny part? I, yeah. I do apologize Go for on. interrupting. Is that the king came down, he, he already saw bodies split into half. Mm-hmm. And yet he sent his soldiers to, to create a blockade. Yeah, because soldiers are dispensable, you know? <laughs> yeah, but they're still like fucking humans, right? <laughs> that's true, that's true. But back then, I think kings could do what they want. And, you know, they're like super fucked up anyway. Um, but yeah, so apparently that rampart of men's legs didn't work. And among the people, among the villagers who were watching this unfold... One of them was a young boy who apparently told the king that that's not going to work. You should just create a rampart made out of stems of the plantain. Uh, not plantain. What I read was banana banana tree. Yeah, the, the banana tree is called a plantain. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, folks, I'm as dumb as possible. But yeah, but variations of the story that I heard with it is bamboo. But uh, according to the Malay Annals, at least the, 19, the 1852 version that I was reading was that it was plantain. So they sharpened these plantain stems, they created those stakes that they put across the shore, and as they did that, the swordfish would leap out of the water and impale themselves upon the plantain. Uh, but because of that, there were a ton of swordfish that were stuck into these plantain stems, and that's when the army you know, closed in and they slaughtered these Yeah, these so swordfish. I do not think it's stems. Yeah, because if it stems, they can just leave them there and they will die. Perhaps, perhaps. So uh, if the army were to come in and kill them, I do, I do not think it's um, Well, this is what the I'm Malay reading from the right. Malayans, you know, that's, that's our source of truth, but you know. <laughs> um, but then at least it was effective, and so the army came in, slaughtered all these swordfish, and you know, they were victorious. Anywho, uh, the Raja went back to his palace where the, his great advisors you know, confided in him and said that that young boy is of uncommon intelligence. And, you know, he gave us this amazing idea when he's at this age. Imagine what he could do when he's older. He's a threat. We should kill him. And so the Raja was like, okay, let's do it. So the variation of that, I what I've heard was that the boy, because of that, became so famous, yeah. the Raja felt threatened. Okay. Like, really popular, he felt threatened, and that's when. So that's when they killed him, right? Yeah. So that pop, that variation is that the boy had a house on top of a hill. and Yes. And, you know, so when he was killed, um, you know, the blood of the boy drenched the, the soil of that hill. Like, all the way to the ground, like, m- meaning, like, you know, from above the hill all the way. Like, he was like, a, his body was like a vol- volcano, a volcano. And and so because the hill was drenched in that red blood, um, you know, the story goes that that's how the term Bukit Mira or Red Hill came to be, which is uh, a place in Singapore now. Um, what is interesting about this story is that in the Malay annals, the boy is killed and that's the end of any mention of the boy. What they say is um, the king says, okay, let's kill the boy. And when he's killed, um, you know, the boy was killed, 
but the guilt of his blood lay upon the country. That's like the only mention of, you know, whether there was blood on the soil, right? It, it gets a little more interesting after this. Now, the... the isn't, it, isn't that supposed to be end? Because, uh, the end? Because that's how Great Hill was... Yeah, but there's actually more in the Marianas because that chapter doesn't end there. Fuck, seriously? Yep. Oh, so cool. the Padaka Sri Maharaja, the king who caused the death of the boy, um, you know, he uh, went on to rule peacefully. He had, you know, a bunch of children who succeeded and him. And you know. Yeah. And you know. Yep, yep, I know, I know. <laughs> so the, the Padaka Sri Raja was succeeded by someone called Raja Sikandar Shah. Okay. I don't mean the name just the names <laughs> right. just get to me. Man. Right? So Raja means king. Uh, Sikandar is um, is a, a very Islamic name, and Shah also means king. So it's like King Sikandar King. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great. Um, but anyway, so Raja Sikandar Singh was you know Padaka Sri Maharaja's um, successor, and so he ruled uh, Singapore, and he was Singapore was prosperous at the time. And this guy. Okay, so was this Singapore or Tamasic? It was Singapore. Okay, so it's after Sang Nila Utama. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, you know, at that time. And um, he had many mistresses, it seemed, right? So he had like a ton of mistresses and stuff like that. He also had a treasurer whose name was Sang Ranjana Shah. And. Sa- Sa- I'm sorry, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> like, the story gets a lot more exciting because Sang Ranjana Shah apparently had a really beautiful daughter. And the, the king, king wanted it. Yes. I mean, her. Yeah. Sorry. So my, the king, my bad. Yeah, the king was totally in love with her, right? After having like so many mistress, yeah. mistresses yeah. and a wife. Yeah. So the king was super in love with this treasurer's daughter. And the thing was, his other mistresses were super jealous of this girl, right? So they conspired against the girl and they told the king that she was unfaithful. You know, uh, she could, they convinced this king uh, of her infidelity. Uh, the king, uh, you know, Raja Sikandar Shah, he flew into a fit of rage and crucified her. And, and like impaled her on a stake in, in a common market or something for everyone to see, to tell everyone that, yes. This was in the Malay Annals. Yes, this was in the Malay Annals. So, Fuck, I didn't know. know they would get that gruesome, but yeah. okay. So they cru- uh, this king had her crucified, you know, nailed to a stake in, in a market area. Uh, and, you know, the treasurer, the daughter who just died, uh, was super shocked about this. And he felt that the king was being unfair if... Her, his daughter was being unfaithful to the king. Could he have just dealt with dealt with it in a way that didn't publicly humiliate her, right? And this is important because he was so disillusioned with what happened because his daughter was just humiliated in such a way that he sent a letter to the Javanese king, the Majapahit kingdom, saying oh, that the, the biggest the biggest dawn of the place. Yeah. So, and there is some context here because um, before Raja Sikandra Shah, um, the Javanese kingdom tried to invade Singapore maybe a couple of centuries ago. They weren't successful and they had to retreat. Um, and so there, there has been this rivalry between the Javanese kingdom and Singapore, right? So when this thing happened where, you know, the treasurer's daughter was impaled and, you know, publicly humiliated, the treasurer um, sends a letter to the Javanese king saying that, um, if you want to invade Singapore now, I will help you. Okay? Getting this message, the Javanese king sent a fleet of 800 ships and 200,000 Javanese shoulder, uh, soldiers. And how big were the ships? Like 200,000? So if you divide it with one ship, had like, what? Eight ships had like 200 people. Yeah, so you and, have to understand, I, like, the... Am I getting my maths right? At... Any rate, the Javanese king. So this is a major seafaring kingdom. Like they've had like very sophisticated. Like Venice back then. Yeah, no shit. Uh, it's just that we don't hear about it much, but apparently this was the case, right? So these two hundred thousand soldiers landed on the shores of Singapore, of Singapore. Two hundred right? case, right? Not. It's not small, man. It's it's a huge number, exactly. right? And this is there in the Malay Annals. What happens there is that the treasurer. Sang Ranjana Shah, he opens the gates to the fortress of Singapore 
and lets these soldiers come in. This sounds so Trojan. Yeah, it is, it is literally that. So there was someone from the inside, betrayed the kingdom of Singapore and let them into the gates. What happened next was a bloodbath. The Javanese soldiers came in. It was absolute carnage. And the, according to the Malay annals, the bloodshed forever tainted the soil of Singapore. Wait, do you just, you just said that line for the, the boy who... Yes, but this line is also used for that particular battle. Holy shit. You know? okay. So Red Hill may not have been about one boy. It may have been about the entire kingdom of Singapore Falling. being slaughtered. Right? In this mass, in this massacre, Raja Sekundra Shah, the king of, of Singapore, he managed to escape. So he fled. He knew that, you know, this was a lost cause. He fled. He went up north. He Saragi is not north. Uh, he actually left the uh, island. Salita is not north. He left the island. He left the Via island. Via Salita. Uh, not sure, but according to the story, according to the Malay annals, he left Singapore. Holy shit, wait. So the, the thing that I was talking about, like Salagi. Yeah. The king lost the war and ran to Salita. Yeah. And he left Singapore. And never to return. Yep, he didn't. So your story about... The boy, yep. and this story about Salagi is interlinked. Yeah, it is. And Holy it, fuck! And Raj, it gets better. Hold, okay. So he left Singapore and he ended up in a place called Muar. Muar is now a town in Malaysia. He sought refuge in this place called Muar and he started roaming around for many years trying to find a place of refuge. And finally, he found this one place, which was, you know, where he decided that, hey, um, I think I will I settle down. I made my mistakes. He actually felt that this is a place that he could finally call home. So after wandering for a while, he was like, I'm going to build my new settlement here. He settled Hello. down. I'm assuming that he, he fled not by himself, <laughs> but with his, you know, his well. small band, band of loyal supporters. And he built a settlement and he called it Malacca. Right? The fuck? So I saw the word Malacca and I'm like, <clears throat> okay, that's interesting. I go to Wikipedia and I check out Malacca. Malacca was founded in the year 1377 by someone called Iskandar Shah. But there was no Raja. Uh, who was the last king of Singapore. Wow, mind blown, bitch. <laughs> and I'm like, I read this and I just take a step back and I'm like, wow, fuck. So 1377, folks. 1377, right? Get your 40 numbers. Um, yeah, this was, this was so interesting because, you know, there is some historical context to it. Um, the, the story about the swordfish may not have been true. It could have been an allegory to the bloodbath that happened, you know, between the kingdom of Singapore and the Majahipat the Majahipit, um, invaders. Here's the fucked up thing that I would want to know. Why don't we learn all this in fucking history school? Why do we always, con like, <sighs> sorry. Yeah, so why don't we actually learn this in history? You know, history classes. Why? I mean, like, why do we always concentrate on, like, yeah, Japanese came in. Yeah, the British came in. Yeah, sorry. The British came in, Japanese came in, British came in again, and then kicked out from Malaysia. Why do we only start from 1819? And not before that. But Raj, can I ask, like, was there literally no mention of anything before I, Raffles came in? It's, it's, uh, if I'm not wrong, I mean, I may be wrong, and please prove me wrong, uh, like, you know, whoever is listening, is that it's more towards Raffles came in, and then he had a negotiation with uh, the king of whoever was in Malaysia or whatever. And yeah, they gave the British the land. I mean, long story short, too long, didn't read. 
and then that's how that's how it starts, and then from then it goes on. But it never goes on like thirteen hundreds, fourteen hundreds. But then again, do you know that's a massive gap from then? Yeah. So there's about you know four hundred years. Four hundred years or three hundred years of massive gap whereby it's just blank. There could have still been something though, but from the accounts that the Javanese actually just literally obliterated Singapore, like the, the Japanese map. did. <laughs> a repeat of history, huh? Holy shit! But we okay. The thing is, we do not know whether it's a repeat of history or not. Perhaps, perhaps, um, folks. If you ever have the opportunity to read the Malay Annals, please do. It is awesome. So the founding of Malacca is inter- it's intertwined with with the history of Singapore, and you know, um, it just permits further cements the idea. So, that do you think all these folklores are folklores, or are they not folklores? Um, here's an interesting theory that I've been, you know, kind of mulling over. Um, a lot of these stories tend to have a fantastical element. In the case of Sangnila Uttama, it's the, you know, the, the storm. In the case of the Bukit Mira story, there is the, um, you know, the swordfish. swordfish. What I feel is that those fantastical stories is kind of foreshadowing to the actual event that's happening. But what about the Selegi story? There was no... Perhaps, but the Selegi story sounds a little more real than swordfish or a storm <laughs> that abates because a crown is thrown into the water, right? So I feel that that particular fantastical story serves as, you know, a taste of what actually happened. You know, it's like a, a poetic way of saying that it, it's, it's like a poetic metaphor. Right. You know? So perhaps the, the, the swordfish represents an invasion of sorts. And I don't know, I'm... I'm I'm, I'm Wait, out so of my the, here. the the swordfish. Here's what I get: the swordfish is a metaphor for uh, the mistresses. The young boy is basically the treasurer's daughter, who gave the idea, and the king killed. Huh. Okay. I I I was thinking that the swordfish would be the the Majapahit invasion. That was just... Yeah, but then the young boy... Yeah, that's also that. The young boy is is the anomaly here. Folks, if you can crack this mystery, uh, please go to (laughs) conspiracytheories.com. And that website was just pulled from his ass. (laughs) But yeah, guys, it's... uh, This is like... We are obviously, um, you know, just trying to make sense of what we're reading. This is something that we've never actually read before. And we just found about these things yesterday and reading about this today and i am just shocked and surprised that this is you know we have all these crazy stories and it's not being talked about so um once again guys if you have the opportunity to check out the malay annals uh do look it up i'll, I'll put down a link um on the show notes uh, check it out it makes for amazing reading um so yeah so we do actually have like a proper Bollywood movie going on here. Right? <laughs> it's got all the drama, <laughs> intrigue with mother-in-laws and <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> the sultans. No, I'm not going to let you marry a commoner. <laughs> fuck, fuck. So we do enter to explore more about these folklores and legends and possibly, you know, find a key to more about the history of Singapore beyond what is in the history books. Beyond eight, no, not beyond 18. Before 1819. So stay tuned for whatever we find next. And do give us any feedback, any kind of comments, any kind of link that we can actually dive deep in or deep dive into it. Yes, because we will do that research for you. Maybe. But, you know, let's see. Very high chance because we are (laughs) fucking interested in this fucking topic. Yep. And we hope you are too. Um, do follow us on Spotify, do follow us on iTunes, we are on Stitcher, we are on YouTube. If you have a podcast app, we are on it. We are living it up in Lion City. This is Rindo. This is Raj. And we'll see you the next time. Goodbye.